Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where we meet business thought and community leaders to discuss issues relevant to entrepreneurial growth. Joining me today is David Fields. David advises owners of consultancies, ranging from one-person startups to large established firms, to create greater profit for the owners and greater value for their clients. David also advises corporate clients as leader of his firm, Ascendant Consulting. His latest book, The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients, is Amazon's highest rated book in the business consulting released in the past 20 years. Welcome, David. Hey, Bill. I appreciate you having me on your show. It's a pleasure. Give us a little background. Fill in some of the gaps from that bio to let us know what your life is like outside of work and maybe one thing that I didn't get a chance to mention. Anyone who reads my book, especially the new one, will know that I'm a, a, a chocolate fanatic. Um, and that's absolutely the case. It's not pretend. I have egregious amounts of chocolate, um, which I, I imbibe every day. Uh, I also am a hockey fanatic. And I, I, well, I wouldn't say I play hockey, Bill. I would say I go out in the ice um, and I flail around. And every once in a while, someone bounces a puck off of me into the net. And I pretend it was an intentional. Um, so that's how I have fun outside. And um, my kids are grown in a way. So no kid stuff anymore. That, that's me outside of work, but I happen to love what I do, like many of us who are entrepreneurs. I just thrive on the business, and so uh, I'm happy to, to work in the business. If you think back to an early influence, to you know, when you were in, in grade school, what was maybe an, an early experience you had or an early mentor who influenced you to learn about some of the skills that you use today? Wow. Think all the way back to grade school. Or something. Boy, that, that's going to be a um, uh, a tough one. Uh, something comes to mind. I almost never talk about. It. Matter of fact, I don't even know if I, if I have talked about this. I think when I was in, it may have been kindergarten. There were these things called unit blocks, and unit blocks were these little wooden, you know, blocks. There was one that was one size, another one that was twice that, and another one that was, you know, three times. And and it was like really basics of mathematics in a physical way that you know someone who's only four or five years old could get it. And the amazing thing about this is the the person who taught us um, about unit blocks and some other things was actually a mathematician from the Institute for Advanced Studies. This is where Einstein was and, and folks like that. And he was actually, I don't know whether he was a Nobel. Yeah, I grew up in Princeton. And this was, I don't remember whether he was a Nobel Prize winning mathematician, but he was certainly an award winning mathematician. And this person who, you know, this amazing mathematician would ride his bicycle to teach kids in kindergarten. And I just think that the idea of teaching other people and giving your knowledge, not at your level, but at their level, whatever that is, which, you know, it's not saying one level is better than another. It's just saying you meet people where they are and help them. I think it was pretty amazing. And it amazed me then, and, uh, you know, who knows? I don't know whether that was one of the reasons I've always been in, in um, teaching. When, you know, at some, one point I was teaching at Carnegie Mellon, um, and, and, you know, I think consultants, a lot of what we do is teaching. So um, there you go. There's a story from the distant past, the murky, hazy days of my, my youth. And, and still it left an impression. That's pretty impressive. Absolutely. When you finished school, when you finished college, uh, what was one of your first jobs? Okay, so I won't even go into the fact that I didn't have a normal college career or finished college. But out of business school, I went into marketing research. So I was, I'm a, I'm a quant geek. I'm a, a numbers person. So I went into marketing research, 
and you know learned a lot of uh, you know good skills there. Uh, my my first boss would say, David, our job is not to say the glass is half empty or the glass is half full. It's to say there's six ounces of water in a 12 ounce glass. And and a lot of the skills and the analytical skills and the research design skills and the interviewing skills that I learned then are, are still applicable today. Um, however, I also learned, you know, I, I moved past that because life is so much more than numbers. And in fact, numbers aren't the answer. Numbers you know, might justify an answer. Numbers might prove an answer. But it's all the soft stuff that's the answer. So to me, one of the interesting things is actually moving past some of the hard quantitative marketing research to the, the soft side of the business, which I think is the more interesting and more powerful part uh, of what we do. David, do you remember an example of a conversation or a situation you were working on where you really gained that insight that numbers aren't the answer? Because it's a really provocative statement. I've always known it to some extent. The best job I ever had, ever, was as an interviewer for a dating service. And uh, this goes back quite a ways, long before there was Internet. And, I, you know, there was no such thing as that today. But I was an interviewer for a dating service which meant you went to people's houses, or what I did is I would drive to someone's house, this is actually down in D.C., who had signed up and then qualified, and I would bring them through this interview to see whether they would qualify for the program. But in fact, what this really was, was this is a, a, a selling job where you would bring people along an emotional journey to get them so in touch with their desire to be in a relationship that they would join this dating service. And pre-internet, you know, now dating dating online is very common. I don't think there's any stigma uh, associated with it. But if you go back 30 years, the idea of meeting someone through a service, there was a lot of stigma attached. So you really had to get people there. Now, as part of this, we had a little survey, and they would fill out this survey and, you know, produce numbers. I said, this is what you're like in certain areas. And that way we can match you to someone who's like you. But it wasn't the numbers. It wasn't the ma- the matching that got people there. It was the emotional journey. The matching was just the fact that we had numbers made it seem credible, made it seem scientific. And in fact, it, it was a pretty good program. But that's not what got people on board. What got people on board was this emotional journey that put them in touch with their desire. And that lesson, a absolutely learned and taken to heart. And that is as true in consulting as it is in any other business, perhaps more true in consulting than most business. It's that emotional connection that creates an actual closed project. When you transition from working for someone else to working for yourself, that's a huge step. It's full of fear. It's full of uncertainty. What was it like for you when you started your own firm? I was working already with a boutique consulting firm. I'd worked with them for, I don't remember, eight or nine years or something like that, maybe somewhere in there. And I'd worked up from sort of a a little level up to being a partner. And there was a a certain inflection point where a decision had to be made. And there were six partners and two of us, myself and and another partner, a guy named Jim, decided to spin off and form our own consulting company. And we did that and that worked incredibly well for about four weeks. And then four weeks. And then, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and then Jim, Jim decided to leave. And the challenge there was, you know, and, and, and I love him. He's a great guy and smart. He had other things he wanted to do. But Jim was the, the business development guy. I was the backroom engine 
guy. I was delivery. I was coming up with, you know, models and smart solutions to client problems. Because if you went back to the, the boutique, those were our roles. Jim was a great relationships person, a great business development person, and I was a, a great model development person. And so I was left without a partner, without clients, and without the really what I thought the skill set to develop clients. The book you mentioned, How to Win Clients, this isn't written from the point of view of someone who's just a natural business winner. It's written from someone who had to learn how to win business, how to win clients, because I did not start off that way. Uh, and so it was relatively terrifying. And for the first, uh, my first year was awful. My first year running Ascendant was a disaster. And fortunately, I, I did learn some, some things. I, I made a couple of smart moves. I, I suppose I got fortunate enough to get a client. Um, and it's helpful to have a client, of course. And, you know, once you have some success and you're smart enough to get help, you know, then then it gets easier. <laughs> and, you know, so year two is excellent. And, and I've never looked back since then. And it's, wouldn't you agree that it's often by making mistakes that we become even more valuable to our clients? I once worked with, with someone who was, I think, an investment banker. And he said one of the questions they ask is, is how many businesses you've run have failed? And if the answer was none, they wouldn't loan money. They said, unless you have failed, you can't show that you have the resilience and the ability to get up. So I wouldn't say that, that making mistakes is the, um, I'm obviously not afraid of making mistakes, and I make plenty. I, I wouldn't go out of my way to make mistakes. <laughs> And But if someone, you know, if, if you try to avoid them, that's where trouble sets in. I think that's a great distinction. I don't think that it's helpful in any way for people to say you've got to make mistakes, except if they're learning a new skill, perhaps. And then you have to say you don't want to strive to make these mistakes, but mistakes are going to happen as you learn a new skill and develop proficiency with it. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, I, I'm delivering right now. I'm in the middle of delivering an organization design for a small consulting firm. And I, I tell them flat out, it, we're going to have to adjust this. What I know for an absolute fact, and I've done a lot of org design for a lot of firms and a lot of companies, is no design is ever perfect out of the gate. There's always something wrong or something that needs to be adjusted or fine-tuned. And so, you know, we're better off putting it in place, getting it darn close, and then and then refining it. So I, I don't worry about the mistakes. I worry about creating high quality. And it's interesting because I think that even this part of the discussion reflects well in the book because it reflects how the first step of the six steps to unlimited clients and financial freedom is to adjust your thinking is to focus on thinking of yourself in a different way and thinking about the services and how you bring those services and problem-solving skills to market. What do you talk to consultants about who are looking to build their firm about thinking, as you say, right side up? Yeah, I, well, I'm glad you brought that up, Bill, because that, that is really, I think, the core of this business, which is the, the idea of, of think right side up is consulting is not about you. Consulting is about them. I often use a story to illustrate this. Back when one of the other jobs I had, which I, I, I had a lot of jobs, but which I didn't mention, is I worked in a shoe store. And one of the things I learned in a shoe store was it didn't matter what the shoe looked like to you. I could recommend anything. It mattered what it felt like to them. So, you know, it wasn't about my shoes. It was about their feet. And it's the same thing in consulting. It's not about my model. It's about them. It's about their results. It's about what they want. That it's that idea that's not about you, it's about them, is absolutely central. It's absolutely core. Uh, if there's one thing to take away from our discussion, 
for someone who's listening, I would say take that away. It's not about you. It's about them. Now, putting that into practice is actually surprisingly hard. Um, it's something you have to work on every day, and it affects every part of your business. It affects how you design your deliverables. It affects how you write your emails, how you answer your phone, uh, what you write, what you think about, what you do, how you market. I mean, you name it. Most of the time when we start something, we think about ourselves, and when it's a push ourselves to think about our client. I think in the book, I give the example of starting an email. Most people start their emails with I or me. You know, I enjoyed meeting you. Well, who's that about? Right? It's about you, the author, as opposed to the person, you know, about them. And, and you know, it's such a simple example. But you could even take the first line of your email and always make sure it's about the client, not about you. And it might sound awkward to you when you do that. But in fact, the way it's read is, oh, wow. They're thinking about me. This consultant's thinking about me. And whether it's explicit or, or slightly sort of in the subconscious, it is absolutely there. In everything you do, every email you write, every presentation you give, if you can think to yourself, how do I make this about them, not me, to be much higher impact? That's the basis for everything. One of the keys that you talk about is having more confidence. And people will sometimes think, I am confident in some areas, but not confident in others. How do you help them think about confidence in order to be more successful as a consultant? Well, it's a, it's a good question. Confidence is, is extremely important. I mean, there's, there's no overstating that. The, there are some pretty pretty compelling research that shows that a client will buy consulting services from a more confident consultant over a less confident consultant who has a, a better approach. The confidence sells. It's very important. I think one of the ironies is people look inside for their confidence. They've been taught through self-help gurus that there's some inner core and they have to believe in themselves. And I think that's absolutely nonsense. On a personal basis, maybe that's true. But when it comes to consulting, go back to what I said about right side of thinking. It's not about you. It's about them. So I think the, the way you approach this is, is stop looking at yourself. If your prospect or if your clients believe you have value, then you have value. You don't need to question that because it's not about what you think of it. It's about what they think of it. So, you know, I, I think the, the approach to confidence and the way to find confidence as a consultant is to stop thinking about yourself. The self-confidence doesn't come from thinking about yourself. The lack of self-confidence comes from thinking too much about yourself, thinking too much, oh, am I good enough? Oh, is it, you know, there's someone better than me, right? It, it's all about you. When you focus on your clients, what do they want? Well, I can do that. What do they need? Oh, I could deliver that. Do they think that I have value? Well, I've received some emails from happy clients. Those are all indicators that you can create value. You have value. You, what you offer as a consultant is of value. Would you say that when people start to raise questions at, that focus on how they're looking at themselves and how to use that to improve their confidence, it's really symptomatic that they have low confidence in that area and rather than try to change what they're focusing on inside, you'd encourage them almost exclusively to focus on the other person's problem, the potential prospect, the, the client, the people that they're dealing with, and be as much help to them as possible in order to be more confident and show up with that confidence that would allow them to establish the rapport and to affect change. Absolutely. There was a consultant actually up near near me in New York who I was working with, and this was some time ago, a guy named Sean, really nice guy, young guy, new into consulting. 
and he was going after all sorts of certification. And I asked him about this. He said, well, in order to, in order to, you know, really deliver and feel like I can deliver, I have to have this certification. I have to go through these courses. <laughs> and, you know, I, I said, in your old job, before you were in consulting, could you do this? Yes. If a client came to you with this problem, could you give them a solution that would solve the problem? His answer is yes. So then why do you need a certification? The certification is just is, is about you. If, if, if you can solve the client's problem, then you're good. So as a result, he's going after like three certifications. He still completed one. He dropped the other two and then, and then got into winning clients. It takes time to do all these certifications. And it, it, it wasn't necessary. And, right. And all the time that people are spending on the certifications, again, you and I are talking about someone who we presume have the skills and abilities to affect that change without the additional classes and certifications. Sometimes you need to take classes, certifications, and, and get coaching yourself in order to deliver a certain solution. But we're talking about people who have the abilities but just don't market them because they're waiting for some external validation in the form of a certification. Is, is that right? Yeah, you bet. You bet. So let me, now let me show you the flip side, though. A lot of consultants want to start with, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I know. Now, let me try to sell what I know. And my response is, I don't care what you know. I don't care what you're good at. All I care about is what does the market want. And you might find that what the market wants is different from what you know. Well, guess what? Learn something different. Learn what the market wants. My business at Ascendant, which um, when Jim and I started Ascendant, you know, we focused it on new market entry, which was not what my background was. My background was in trade marketing which was really, really different. But what the market was telling me was that new market entry, getting into new businesses, leveraging technology into new sectors, that there was business there. And I learned it. So I did study it. I did practice it. I did, you know, read books and try to understand what other people were doing so that I could de develop good solutions there. So it's not that we shouldn't study and learn. We absolutely should. We should go where the market is and pick up skills. But once you have the skills, again, the confidence doesn't come from your knowledge. The confidence comes from clients saying, your knowledge is helpful to me. Here's another related aspect I'd love to hear you comment on, is you talk about how consultants focus on differentiation to their own peril. Why <laughs> differentiation? <laughs> I like that, peril. Yeah, I think, again, coming out of consumer products, you know, the, what I learned in consumer products is you need a breakthrough product and you need to be differentiated. And that is true in consumer products. That is true if you're selling toothpaste. If you're selling phones, um, you know, if you're selling any kind of packaged good. But in our business, that's not what we're selling. It's fundamentally different. And therefore, breakthrough and differentiation, which is the, you know, those are the watch words for consumer products, are the, the perilous words for consulting. Because clients aren't looking for different. Clients aren't looking for breakthrough. Clients are looking for solved. <laughs> They're looking for a solution that's reliable and credible. And in consulting, consultants got, has a, you know, consultants have a pretty bad rap, often deservedly so. Because every single client, every single executive has had at least one experience and probably multiple experiences with having hired a third party, and that third party didn't deliver. And therefore, you know, they enter into consulting contracts with some amount of trepidation and concern and fear and anxiety. And the more you look different, the more you look breakthrough and real, we've got some unique approach, the harder it is for a client to feel like, wow, that's proven and credible and reliable. They don't want that. 
They want the thing that's worked 30 times. And so that's why I say don't focus on differentiation in, in consulting. Don't worry about what makes you different. Worry about what makes you credible and reliable. One of the key points of your book is about visibility. And I'll point out that you have Keith Ferrazzi write your forward, and that is a differentiator. It lifts your book in perception, especially at the beginning, especially with all the quotes that you have about people who have gotten you know, great results. So it, it goes to support the idea that you just said that people are really interested in, in results more than credentials. First of all, how did you get to connect with Keith? Because I bet there's a great story there. And second of all, talk about the importance of using third-party endorsements to boost your credibility. I originally met Keith when I was interviewing thought leaders for a program that I built for primarily for solo consultants. This is a program I run every once in a while called Client Acquisition Formula. I, I don't run it every year, but I run it occasionally. And I interviewed Marshall Goldsmith and Keith Ferrazzi and, and, and a bunch of other folks who are, who are thought leaders and I thought would have something valuable to add to any of us who are, are still growing our firms. And so I interviewed him for that. And how I got that interview is, I think for some reason he thought, I don't know if he thought we were already connected or I made it sound like we had something, but he, he didn't actually, we didn't know each other until he came into that interview. The interview itself lasted however long it lasted, 30, 40 minutes, something like that. And then we talked for another hour because we just found each other engaging. And then I had the very good fortune to then work with Keith and his firm because of what I do. And he was intrigued and we had a natural fit. I've had the opportunity to work with, with Keith as he grows Ferrazzi Greenlight. And, uh, and you know, he's, He's an extraordinary man in, in many ways. Let me bring you back to then sort of the endorsements. I think endorsements and testimonials are extremely helpful. If, some, if we're trying to appear reliable and we're trying to appear credible, the clients need some proof. They need some reason to believe. These days, when you go to buy a product, you go on the Amazon or something else, and there's crowd proofing. There's social proof like crazy these days. There's four stars or five stars and, 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 you know, anything with three or two stars or, you know, nobody buys. So the, those ratings are incredibly helpful. Yet when it comes to something like consulting, we don't usually pop up with ratings next to our names. And so what's a prospective client to do? What they're going to do is they're going to look at how you interact with them, which is another way of building trust. And they're going to look for other types of social proof. Is there someone they know who's worked with you? Is there someone who they think is pretty impressive or credible that's worked with you? Um, you know, the fact that I've worked with, with Keith as one example and a lot of other firms that are, are you know, pretty decent names uh, helps because it gives a level of comfort to clients that I know what I'm doing because I've done this a lot of times and I've done it with people they respect. And the same is true for you and the same is true for everyone who's listening. The advantage of having a marquee client is you can put them on the marquee and people will say, wow, if they've worked for General Motors or worked for the biggest attorney in town and I'm just trying to become a big attorney in town, well, that says something to me. It believes, it, it makes me believe the, this person's reliable, this consultant is credible. So I'm sure that you've worked with consulting firms and founders of firms as well as partners in firms who have come to this point and said, we do great work, and now we have to scale. We have to be able to do this more because we have more capacity than we have 
um, clients who are engaged at this point. How do you take some of these ideas that you've developed into a, a body of work as well as your program, and where do you start to help them think about applying this? And, you know, what are one or two ideas that you have that you introduce them to? The ideas for a boutique firm and the ideas for a solo consultant are fairly similar in terms of how you win business. Whether you're a solo or you're a boutique, you're always trying to balance capacity versus demand. Often I'm, I'm working with firms that are trying to grow them both at the same time. I would never advise building capacity ahead of demand. When I'm working with boutiques, I'll get a call that says, hey, will you teach all my people to become rainmakers? And I'll say, hey, no, <laughs> I won't. Because not everybody wants to do that, is cut out to do that, is interested in doing that. But what we can do is take anyone who has some interest, anyone who has a desire, and anyone who has some spark, those people we can make into rainmakers. Your current rainmakers we can make even better by just really by following the, the six steps that are outlined in, in the book that you referenced. Those six steps will make anyone who's got an interest and willing to, to work at it will make them a pretty solid developer of, of new business. And so thinking right side up, I mean, I, I work with folks who do two or three million dollars a year or more on their own, and you tell them, let's make this right side up. And they're like, oh, man, <laughs> a little head slap. And then, you know, their business take, takes off. Or I was working with, I work with a guy named James who's up in Toronto. I, I have a lot of clients in Toronto, more than any other city. And we've worked together for over five years now. And he was clicking along at... You know, 150 grand or 200 grand a year or something. Uh, as, as we kind of worked on some of the, these basics and laid down the, the route until we finally nailed impact for him. Impact is, is step two. It's before you get visibility. And once we nailed impact, which was this past year, and what would be the high impact offering? Everything, everything turned on. This year, he's booked $2 million of business. And he already has that book for next year. So he went from 200 grand to $2 million. And it was simply by applying the, the, you know, the basics. Talk to the right people about the right problem and offer the right solution in compelling terms at the right time. Well, those, those basics sometimes take a little while and a little effort to get to. Once you get there, you know, business can explode. Why do you know that sharing the four rights, which is really a, a tremendously valuable insight distilled down into a couple of pages of writing that unlocks enormous potential for firms that read it and follow the advice. Why do you know that sharing those in that distilled form is going to bring you more business rather than less? People who are going to take your ideas and then not call you, we're never going to call you anyway. Right. That, there's the there's the big, you know, kind of mistake when people are afraid of sharing their IP. Oh, but what if someone can, you know, reads my IP and then they, they don't hire me? Look, if they if someone can spend twelve dollars or do a Google search and read a couple of articles and feel like then they know what to do, they were never going to pay you ten or fifty or a hundred or five hundred thousand dollars anyway. So you haven't lost them. What you do is you gain the people who are smart enough to realize that there's one level, which is understanding a concept. There's another level, which is implementing it without making as many mistakes. And then there's another level, which is implementing it with coaching, with feedback and guidance along the way. And that's going to make the entire process faster. That accelerates not just your learning, 
It accelerates your path to success. And those are the people you, you win when you share your ideas. Uh, you know, plus you just help people. And if you're in this business to help people, then you share your ideas anyway. I don't worry at all about losing clients by sharing my IT. He said, the, the people who can do it on their own are going to do it on their own anyway. And, and it's smart people who realize, you know what, I want guidance with this. I want experience with it. I, I get the concept. Now help me do it. I, I also look at an example I'm thinking of uh, what you call the fishing line. And it's a, yeah. it's a very carefully crafted way to make a statement to attract business. And for right. someone to read this, even with the examples you provide, it's still a tricky thing to do to get it right especially without feedback. And I would offer to you, I'd say, you know, it's the same as if people say, I want to play in the NFL, but I don't want to get coached. Or I want to dance at Carnegie Hall, but I don't need lessons. I think that the idea of being able to take some of these very sophisticated concepts and think that you're going to get there without coaching and experience, experience feedback from people who have been there and done that and have hundreds and hundreds more reference points is very nice. I think that most people know that they would that, that coaching is a good thing. And therefore it, it's not that knowledge which holds them back. Every every coach in the in the known universe has said, well, pro athletes all have coaches and, and all of that. So so it, you're absolutely right. I think what happens is you have to be make a decision that you're willing to invest in your business. So that's the first decision you have to make because getting a good coach or a good advisor of any of any sort is expensive. Hiring a consultant is expensive. So are you willing to invest in growth? That's a big decision. Then there's another decision, which is, are you willing to learn and change? Because if you're going to have a coach who's any who's good, they're going to have you do something different, something that's uncomfortable. And you know that because what you're doing right now is comfortable, but it's gotten you to where you are. And if you want to achieve something different, you're going to have to change something and probably something that feels uncomfortable. And so I, I actually don't think it's a, sort of a lack of knowledge that stops people from taking on a mentor or taking on an advisor. It's the lack of willingness to invest in the business or a fear of, of actually changing. And if people are willing to say, you know what, I'm going to dedicate myself to growing my business. I am 100% committed. Those people invest. Th those are the people who, who um, tend to call me and then tend to make progress because they're committed to it. When you talked about first launching Ascendant and saying that you were smart enough to reach out for help, who were some of the mentors that helped you early on make some right choices and save you a lot of time an effort to get to a higher level of success. I, I was very fortunate in that I grew up in a in a boutique firm whose owners did things the right way. Now, how they got there, I'm not sure. And, and I learned from things they did well and things they, they didn't do well. For instance, it, I, when I went into consulting, this firm that I worked with always priced things on a project basis with very high fees. There is no such thing as an hourly rate. And so I, it never even occurred to me to do hourly rates or commodity type work because that's not how I grew up. Then this, uh, the first project I was working on was actually down in Philadelphia, down near where you are. I, I happened to work with a man named Bob Petnelli and Bob was a salesperson at one point 
he used to run one of Philip Morris's sales forces in North America. So this is a guy who'd really been around for a while and was a veteran salesperson, whereas I was not a salesperson at all at that point. But when I won that client, it was handed to me. I had not won anything. It was really a disaster. And it was Bob Petnelli who taught me a lot of tactical, really practical, tactical kind of techniques which I, I now share with others, and who also just gave me some some basic advice that was extremely helpful. Now, I also hired a mentor and, and, and paid, but so it was a combination, I think, of, of meeting folks, hiring good advisors that really worked for me. Dave, you're also very prolific. You, you share uh, ideas through articles, and you've written a couple books now. What are some tools or methods that you use that help you stay on track and focused? So we have a team. I have a very small team. And even if I didn't have a, a small team, I would at least have an assistant. <laughs> and my assistant's job is to keep me on track. <laughs> that's, you know, that's my tool. And I'm a big believer in that, actually. For consultants, I mean, I'm, I'm not naturally on track. I'm more naturally, I'm intellectually spastic, right? I'm all over the place. You know, that was fine. It has its advantages in some ways for building a business, but it's terrible in terms of focus and staying on track. And therefore, I delegate that because that's not my skill set. And when something's not your skill set, you get rid of it and have somebody whose skill set it is take care of it. So my assistant talks to me every day and says, well, what are your priorities? And if I start going off all over the place, she'll remind me. She says, no, actually, your priority, make sure you get your blog done or make sure you write this. It's Wednesday. It's time to do all of your, your outreach calls in, that are sitting on pipe drive. So she can keep me on, on track. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't stay on track. And, and we have some forms that we use to do that also. So I can look and say, oh, here's what I'm supposed to be doing right now. <laughs> or else we would not have this call. I would have forgotten. David, you've been incredibly generous with sharing ideas with us about your career about the guide to winning clients. You talked about how early on you realized that numbers weren't the answer. You share with us the great story of how you learned about the importance of an emotional journey when doing that early dating app job. Talked about your interest in and how you finally took the leap with founding Ascendant and how that took off after a, a little bit of a bump at the beginning that everyone can relate to. And you shared some of the great ideas from your book about thinking right side up and that clients aren't looking for breakthrough. They want solves by reliable and credible sources. Where can people find out more about the work that you do and connect with you for helping them grow their businesses? Well, I appreciate you asking that. And, and before I even say that, I want to thank you for being a service to the community, for providing insights and a channel to other thinkers. What you do is, is of tremendous value. So thank you for doing that. I would say that... Th Look, the, there's a lot of concepts sitting in that book, which, you know, so I, I would just grab it sitting on Amazon or, or wherever you're, you want to buy books. Isn't it? It's in the airports right now. Uh, if someone wants to connect with me, I'm very easy to access, actually. If you go to davidafields.com, so it's David and then the, my middle initials, A, fields.com. My contact information is, is all over the, the website. Some of the programs are there, but not, not every program. And I, I encourage people to just give me a call. My, my contact information is right there. I'm very accessible, even with my current client load. You know, I'm here to help consultants succeed. And so if a consultant calls me, I'm, I'm always willing to have a conversation and see where they are, uh, see if I can be of immediate help. If it makes sense for us to work together, we work together. If it doesn't, that's fine also. Um, but I can usually at least be of, of some help in a short period of time. And, and so that's what I would encourage your listeners to do. Thank you. David, I do also want to point out that, at this time, if you look on Amazon, your book, The Irresistible Client's Guide to Winning Clients, 
Six Steps to Unlimited Clients and Financial Freedom has over 120 five-star reviews. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? <laughs> that's pretty cool. It is. As, a, as an author, that's, of course, very rewarding. You put your book out there and you don't know what's going to happen. And, you know, this is a case where it's not about me, it's about them. I didn't write the book I had in mind. Matter of fact, I hated that title. But the marketplace consultants told me that's what they wanted. So that's as emblematic of, of right side of thinking as anything else. You make it about them. That book's about consultants. It's for you. And as a result, it's received very good reviews, which, of course, is, is very gratifying. And what was one of the things you learned uh, that surprised you in the process of writing the book? You know, at any step along the way, I'm an okay writer. I'm not the best, but I'm not the worst. At, at, at any step along the way, if you apply that filter and think, what do they need to know? It, not, it's not about me. What does someone need to know? What would make this intriguing, entertaining, and useful? There's a way to, to make your deliverable better. And that was certainly reinforced in, in this book. The second book, the new one, is certainly better than my, my first book. And the next book that's coming out, you know, hopefully will be even better. And so there's, it's, you know, we can always learn and we can always improve. And if we do that, we, we create content that our clients want and they appreciate. Well, thanks again so much for joining me on my quest for the best.